It's Christmas though. Are you guys excited? Are you pumped? Are you super busy? I feel super busy. And I, I'm going to be honest with you. I have figured out that with kids who are seven and four, we're actually not super. Are you seven, Luke? Seven. Yeah, seven and four. Sorry, I had a momentary panic there that I was lying to you. Um, with kids that are seven and four, we're actually not that busy. I like like our pastor's daughter was in a play three nights this week. We saw night one; it was fantastic, and I hear it only got better. Um, that's that's busy, right? Like what we are is only kind of busy. Yeah, but it feels busy, right? Feels hectic. Feels like you're running all over the place. Um, feels like these are the notes for the wrong sermon. That's bad. Yeah, for real. <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure not. This this one actually didn't go that well the first time I gave it. So let's redeem it. No. We're busy. Okay. Who's finished their Christmas shopping? Raise your hand if you're done your Christmas shopping. Arlene is done. Who hasn't started their Christmas shopping? Raise your hand. Okay, see, a dangerous number of you, right? Okay, hold on, let's keep on going. How many of you are done wrapping presents? All done, not a thing left. No one. How many haven't even started? Even more, perfect, yo. Yeah, yeah. How many of you have an unusual event on your calendar in the next two weeks? Something, yeah. We're gonna, we are going to drive with a seven and a four year old to Canada next Friday and Saturday, which is super exciting. But also, have you ever taken a 12 hour trip with a seven year old and a four year old? Yeah, then you know what I'm getting into. Super exciting. It won't be a 12 hour trip, it'll be more like a 15 hour trip. Right? And there will be there will be that moment where you're driving through Pennsylvania and it says 18 miles to the next exit and one of the children says, I gotta go potty right now. And you're like, 18 miles, what do I, 18 miles. <laughs> you, you, hope, you hope it's the boy, for sure. Um, it's, so it's a challenging time of year. <laughs> challenging time of year. Today we're going to talk about the context of the Christmas story. We're going to talk about hope. And I hope that you can find some rest in that. I have a great story of great hope for you. I think one of the things that still happens at Christmas is that much of the world remembers that the Christian story has some unique events in it. Today we're going to see that for Paul, writing to the Romans, the story of Christmas matters. If you doubt whether God cares about little things, let me tell you, this passage is so perfectly suited for the build-up to Christmas, this passage and the next one. And I meant to ask Jason this, but as far as I'm aware, there was no calculation in that. It's not like we looked out ahead and said, you know what, we want to be at these two passages around Christmas time. We have fluked into wonderfully Christmassy passages in Romans entirely by God's providence. God cares about that stuff. I really think so. In fact, I think that um, I, I, I believe that God has a very specific message for Providence Bible Church here in Romans at Christmas in the year 2015. And I think you're going to hear some of it this week and some of it next week. I hope your heart is encouraged and challenged, and I hope God's Spirit moves among us. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to stand and read with me in Romans. But let's pray and invite God to be with us. God, we are your children. We long for you to build your church, both globally and right here at Providence Bible Church. God, you say that um, that you have sealed believers with your Holy Spirit. Uh, 
I ask that your spirit would move in our hearts today, everyone who knows you, that we would draw closer to Jesus, that we would see the importance of the Christmas story, that we would see the importance of your first advent, and that we would look with hope to your second advent, your second coming. God, I ask that you would receive the glory today. I ask that you would um, give me wise words. We rest in you. You are sufficient. You can do what you said you would do. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So stand with me and find Romans 4. Um, where our passage today is Romans 4, 18 through 25. I'm actually going to start reading back in 13 so that you get the context. This is Romans 4, 13 through the end of the chapter. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs. Faith, sorry, I missed an if. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the life to the dead, and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Thanks. You can be seated. That is some powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. There's a lot to try to cover in that passage. Uh, and keep in mind, it's a heck of a lot easier than Jason's passage last week that had clauses and, and fours and therefores and sos. And my passage is easy. I, I may have rubbed it in a little bit when he asked me to preach this passage. I was like, ha ha, I got the easy passage. But there's still a lot in it. Um, the things we're going to try to accomplish today are relatively three things, I think. We're going to see Abraham's place in the arc of redemptive history. So big arc, redemptive history, we're going to see Abraham's place in that. We're going to see that God is able to do what he promised. And we're going to see the arc of redemptive history and your place in it. So three things we're going to try to accomplish. The arc of redemptive history and Abraham's place in it. God is able to do what he promised. And the arc of redemptive history and your place in it. So, Abraham's place in redemptive history. Who is this man who hopes against hope? Right? Paul throughout this chapter, throughout chapter 4, is, is making an argument that ties Abraham to our justification. We're sons and daughters of Abraham if we are justified through faith in Christ. We are. So who is Abraham? Who is, who is this father Abraham? Had many sons, many sons. Yeah. Who's Abraham, right? <laughs> Aaron's got the arm going. That's if, if people fall asleep, we're totally going to do a congregational round of Father Abraham just to wake everybody up. Um, here's some, some key things about, about Abraham and about his role in history. So 
Let's talk about history, right? What's the arc of history? What's the arc of redemptive history? Well, it starts with creation, right? What happened at creation? Luke, what happened at creation? What was the first thing that happened in the Bible? I put him on the spot. That was probably unfair. In the beginning... That's John. That's pretty good. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Right? That was the first thing. Takes up a couple chapters. God creates everything. And it's not very long. So you've got creation. And then what comes immediately next? Right? The fall. Yeah, you've got the fall. In the fall, mankind, us, in our father Adam and our mother Eve, chose sin. Right? And God has, from the very beginning, had this plan to redeem his people. And he's been playing this out across history, across time, across the universe, showing the principalities and powers that, that he is glorious. That's what's happening. So, you got creation, and you've got the fall. And you've got this story that's kind of been happening, and I don't know what you guys are doing for Advent, but in the McKay household, we've been reading um, the Jesus Storybook Bible back from, from the beginning, and so we've gotten to kind of traipse through this landscape in a very easy way um, of, of kind of the, the narrative that God tells so, you get to Abraham, right? He wasn't Abraham at first. He was Abram. And God calls him, says, Abram, go to the land I will show you. Okay. Abram believes. He goes, and God says, Abram, I'm going to call you Abraham. You're going to be the father of many. That's what Abraham means, the father of many. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you to this land, and your descendants will be like, like the stars, like sand on the seashore. Right? Abraham is 75 when he leaves, uh, when he leaves, where does he start? Ur, right? Starts in Ur, He's 75 years old. Huh? Haran? Okay, Haran. Abraham's, Abram is 75 when he leaves Haran. And he goes, and he journeys, and he waits, and he believes. Right? He hopes against hope. He's been promised that he's going to be the father of many nations. Now, Abram, Abraham, he's not perfect. Uh You'll remember when we when we went through Genesis several years ago, if you were here, uh, I ended up getting to preach both times Abraham lied about his wife. Both times. It was amazing. Because I just pulled the same sermon notes and gave it again. Um, he, goes to, he goes to Egypt, right? And he's like, my wife is good looking. And that is going to get me into trouble. So, Sarah, if they ask you, why are you hanging out with this dude? Just tell him you're my sister, which is kind of true. You're my half-sister. So just, I'm his sister. We're hanging out together. Pharaoh decides he'd like to marry her. Uh, and then a plague comes on Pharaoh's house and he sends her back. He does it again in another country to Abimelech. Same, same deal. Uh-oh, my wife is super good looking. I would really... Uh, I don't want to get hurt. Uh, you know... I, want to be safe so honey when they ask in spite of having experienced this once before by the way this is not this same guy honey when they ask just tell them you're my half sister because i don't you know same thing happens literally just about like it's you can the story beats are the same it's like wow this guy does not learn this is abraham this is who we're talking about um so if, if it's by law, if it's following, if it's his own righteousness, Abraham is as hopeless as you and I. No hope, right? Because he is messed up. He just cannot do things right. Abraham's life was hard. 
Okay, so here he is. He's he's in the desert. He's a powerful man. We see that in different stories. Um, when he goes to save Lot, for instance, um, not from Sodom and Gomorrah, but earlier, we see that he's a he's a mighty warrior. He's good in battle. Um, he owns a lot. He's rich, but he has no kids, and his name is Father of Many. And this was at a time when people were fairly nomadic. They moved. Uh, and probably since Abraham had lots of cattle and camels and stuff, he probably tried to be near the roads where they moved so that he could meet people and do trade with people, right? So imagine how that would be in, in ancient Canaan where fertility is everything, right? We've talked about that on occasion that fertility was a big deal. If you were infertile, it was like, oh, you poor thing. Um, here's Abraham, and he walks out to meet, and, and you know, there's a caravan coming through, and he finds the guy in charge. Hey, I'm Abraham. Oh, Abraham, how long have you lived here? Twenty years. Oh, your name means means father of many. So, how many kids do you have? None. About that. God, God's promised me that I'm going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to be the father of a multitude. I'm going to, you know, through, through my children, nations will be blessed. God's promised me that. And I believe him. At 75, you're already kind of like, ooh. When, he, when, he's hitting, when he's into his 90s, you can imagine there'd be some desperation there. Paul says he doesn't waver grows in faith. He has faith. Now, Abraham and his wife, again, they're not perfect, right? The whole thing with Hagar and Ishmael, and it's bad, right? They try to do it their way, and it blows up in their face. Um, and we know, if you read the Genesis account, there's a point where Abraham says to God, like, why can't, why can't Ishmael be enough? Why can't, why can't you bless him? And God says, for your sake, I'll bless him. But he's not the chosen one. He's not the one. I'm going to give you a child. Right? I am going to do that. Abraham hoped against hope. He, he did not weaken in his faith, our passage says, when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead. He was about a hundred years old. That's old, right? Like, you younger people especially, you look at me at 32 and you think, which, by the way, does mean Jason's 10 years older than me, but I'm not counting. Um, <laughs> uh, you look at me and you think, oh, when I'm 32, I will be old. Not old like Ab Abraham was old. Abraham was as old as you could pick literally two people at random out of this congregation, add their ages together. Abraham is still older than that. That's, that's how old Abraham is. He's old. Look at Abraham. He's had this, this challenging experience of being, of being named the father of many. Having to explain that for 25 years. He looks at his, his, himself. 100 years old. My wife's 90. Never had any children. Abraham does not waver. Did not weaken in, in faith. When he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No distrust made him waver, considering the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith. As he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he, what he had promised. There is tremendous, tremendous hope for us in the reality that God is able to do what he promised. The rest of the arc of redemptive history, which, by the way, is still being written, right? But here's how the rest of it goes. Can God do what he promised? Yes. Let me, let me give you some examples of times when God did what he promised. You got Joseph, right? In a pit. His brothers are either going to kill him or sell him. Joseph is without hope, right? This is 
this is a couple, just a couple generations from now. This is Abraham has Isaac, Isaac has Jacob, Jacob has Judah and his kin, including Joseph. Four generations, did I count that right? I think so. Um, four generations later, here's Joseph in a pit going, they are going to kill me. Having had this dream where, where his brothers are bowing down to him, his father's bowing down to him. That dream doesn't matter because I'm about to die. Does he die? No. He goes to Egypt and for a while things look great. And then guess what? It gets worse. He goes to prison in Egypt and he's waiting for death to come through. I mean, you think prison conditions now are bad. An Egyptian prison when you are a slave who, who has been accused of making a pass at his master's wife? Not good. He's waiting... I'm sure he's there waiting to die. It's not good. Does he die? No. God can do what he promised to do. God saves Joseph, right? The baker comes and the the cup, the, the, the taster comes and God saves Joseph. Fast forward a little bit. Moses. Moses, I'm, I'm going to save my people through you. Do you believe me? Yeah, sure. And then Pharaoh's heart is hardened and hardened and hardened and hardened. My kids cried this week about, about the plagues that God sent to soften Pharaoh's heart. They're sad. Luke had the realization that as the firstborn son, he, if we had been Egyptian, what would have happened to you, Luke? Yeah. The heart, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. Until, finally, the angel of death comes and kills the firstborn sons of all of Egypt. And Pharaoh says, go! Because God can do what he promised. He's going to rescue his people. They go, and then they get chased by chariots. And their backs are to the sea. Which is not a good place to be, by the way. Um, in, in ancient history, uh, in battle, cavalry mounted troops chariots that was that was the be-all end-all right that was no one knew how to break that uh, that was tough and if you're the people of israel and you've been slaves for a couple hundred years you're in bad shape we're either going to drown or we're going to die those are our choices can god do what he promised absolutely he can what happens they walk across the sea on dry land. God can do what he promised. It continues, right? That's not where the story ends. You, you get to Moses and the people in the desert. Can God do what he promised? We wish we had leeks and onions and cucumbers back in Egypt. It was so good back then. Why did Moses bring us out? We're hungry. God sends food. We're thirsty. God sends water. We're going into the promised land, finally, with Joshua. Here's Jericho. We're in trouble. I don't know if we can do it. They're big and strong, and we are not, and they've got big walls. What can we possibly do? I've got an idea. Let's march around the outside of the, of the city for six days. And then on the seventh day, let's walk around it seven times. And it'll just crumble. That sounds crazy, right? Can God do what he promised he'd do? Yes, he can. Jericho comes tumbling down. The people of Israel march into Canaan. Yet, Ruth and Naomi, right? Can God do what he promised? Can God provide for this poor widow and her child? Yes. David and the giant. Can God do what he promised? Can the people of Israel survive? Or are they going to be slaves to the philistines a little boy a shepherd boy picks up stones out of the brook puts them in his sling and takes down a giant and we're not talking shack we're talking bigger than that takes down the giant can god do what he promised yes you got plenty more stories esther and naaman right esther they, they are you know, they're in slavery again. Uh, there's this bad guy who's going to kill all the Jews. 
Can God do what he promised? Yeah. They make it out. Isaiah and the people of Israel going into exile. Would that have felt like a victory right then? No. We're going into exile. That's bad. Can God do what he promised? Yeah. The people of Israel end up back in Israel. Eventually. We've got Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, in the furnace, Elijah in the remnant. That's a great one. Elijah is sure that every person in Israel has bowed their knee, has bended the knee to Baal. Right? There's no one left but me, God. That's what he says. And God says, no, that's not true. 7,000 people haven't bended the knee to Baal. God can do what he promised. There, these are just a smattering of all the impossible to untangle web that God weaves in the Old Testament. Just a smattering. There's lots more. You want to pick them, there's lots of stories to look at where God's ability to deliver his people is tested and proven true. God can do what he promises. God makes it all work. He brings all of history up to Jerusalem, where the Gospels start, right? Rome has taken over the Western world, which, by the way, the Greeks probably didn't see coming, and the Babylonians before them didn't see the Greeks coming, and on and on back through history, right? But here are the Romans, and they are strong. And they've taken over the Western world. And there's an empire, and there's an emperor, and he calls for a census. I want to know how many people there are. Everybody go to the, go to the city where you were born and be counted. There's a rotten king in Jerusalem. Right? Herod. So Joseph and Mary travel to the city of David. And there's famously... What happens at the end? Yeah, there's no room at the end, so they go to a stable, probably a cave. The baby's born, right? Sing songs about it. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. There are shepherds. Mind you, shepherds, right? Not, not King Herod. King Herod doesn't step out onto his balcony that night and find angels singing. No, shepherds find angels singing. There's a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. Go. And they go. And then some, some magi show up. I always want to say McGee just because I think it's funny, but it's not that funny. Uh, my, my wife tells me I'm not as funny as I think I am. Uh, there are some magi who show up at some point. Right? Depending on the tradition that you want to follow. They showed up that night. Or that's impossible. They showed up two years later. However you want to go. They showed up at some point. And then an angel appears to Joseph and says, Hey, go to Egypt for a while. Trust me, it's going to get ugly around here. And they go. And each of these little steps is God proving that he can do what he promised to do. If an angel hadn't appeared to Joseph, if Joseph hadn't listened and fled to Egypt, what would have happened? Herod was slaughtering babies, trying to find the Messiah and kill him. But God can do what he promised. So Joseph goes and takes his family. They come back. The baby grows up. He goes to the temple at 12 and stays there doing his father's work, right? Right? You remember that story. He changes water into wine at a wedding in Cana. He heals thousands, he feeds thousands, he preaches to thousands, he tells stories. That's kind of my favorite part. He goes around and he teaches people stories. He baptizes people, he's betrayed. And even in their betrayal of them, the Jews can't quite get it together, so he has to bounce around the judicial system a little bit. High priest. Um... Pilate, now over to Herod, now back to Pilate. High priest again, no, we really want him. Pilate, no, you got to let him go. High priest and all his people crucify him. Pilate finally gives up. Okay, fine. Have your way. He's crucified. And the temple veil is torn in two. 
because God can do what he promised to do. Jesus is buried, and the Romans send guards. They roll a big stone in front of the in front of the tomb, right? So Roman guards, big stone. Three days later, the stone rolls away. And Jesus walks out of the tomb. He's no longer there. Having conquered the power of sin and death, Jesus rises from the dead. Because God can do what he said he'd do. Abraham has faith, but that's the theme of, of Scripture, is that God can do what he said he'd do. And what he said he'd do is rescue us. God is able to do what he promised. It's just amazing. So you got Abraham, right? You've got Abraham, who, like we learned last week, Abraham wasn't saved by his actions, wasn't saved by the um, by the covenant God made with him by circumcision, basically. That's not what saved Abraham. What saved Abraham was his faith, that God would save him. And God could do what he said he'd do. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. And again, that just... If you're experiencing some hard times right now, this is a good aside for you. 25 years, 30 years, 25-ish years, Abraham waits, right? Father of many nations. Father of many. Father of many. Blessing to many nations. Abraham waits, and he has no children. 25 years. God's timelines are long. God's timeline in history is long. And sometimes you will wait and unbelief will assail your heart. But you can trust like Abraham trusted that God is able to do what he said he'd do. And hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. So this is all history, right? This is all a story that God told in real lives. It's not just a story somebody made up. It's a story that God told in real life. You guys hear about, um, they found King Hezekiah's seal in Jerusalem. And at first I was like, this is bound to be a hoax. It seems like it's not a hoax. This is a real thing that just happened a couple weeks ago. Um, King Hezekiah is the son of the son of the son of King David-ish, on down the road. Son of Ahaz, actually. Um, and they found a seal that says, in, in Jerusalem they found a seal that says in ancient Hebrew, um, this is the seal of King Hezekiah, the son of King Ahaz. Uh, which is crazy! Again, we continually find these reminders of the historicity of the Bible. This stuff happened. This stuff happened. Abraham waited 25 years for God to deliver on the promise that he'd be the father of, father of many. And how does God deliver? Is it exactly the way Abraham probably expected? It's one kid. It's one kid who then goes and has two kids. And it's only at the point of Jacob that finally somebody starts having kids around here. Which again, to us, two kids, well, that's kind of the average family, right? To them, that was not average. That was strange. What is going on over there? They only got two kids. Would have been what they said, what their neighbors said. That would have been the town gossip. Something wrong with Sarah. They don't have any kids. Abraham persists through that, trusting that God can do what he said he'd do. What God was able to do what he promised. No distrust made Abraham waver concerning the promise of God. That's a really beautiful thing. We'll get to that in our conclusion, but Abraham didn't, did not waver. Now, is Paul being generous with, with his assessment of Abraham's life? 
because it feels like maybe Abraham wavered a few times, doesn't it? When you look at the at kind of the course of the story, what do you do with that? I think there's a good, healthy reminder there that we're talking about human beings, right? We're talking about human beings here in the church. We're not going to be perfect. There's grace enough for whatever you are facing. There's grace enough for your mistakes. Abraham didn't nail it. It's not like he just perfectly, oh, God will provide, it's going to be okay. No, he messes up. Messes it up a few different times. Abraham believed, though, and God credited that faith to Abraham as righteousness. The way Abraham found faith or found favor with God was not through following the law. It was through faith. Just like it is for us. Just like it is for us. There's tremendous foreshadowing in the story of Abraham too. This helped me. Um, the story that comes just after Abraham waiting 25 years for this son to be born uh, is a story of Abraham and Isaac going up the side of a mountain, right? Are you familiar with that story? God says, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. And that is scary because the God of Abraham and Isaac is not into child sacrifice. He's not. So what is happening? In literature, you will often, if you go back and, and look at the beginning of a book, you'll see that the author tries to like write in some stuff to, to foreshadow what's going to happen, to tell you, hey, look, later on you're going to see something and it's going to remind you of this event. Right? That's what Abraham and Isaac on the side of the mountain are. Because you experience revulsion rightly, at the idea of Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son. That is the right reaction. If your reaction to that is like, oh, cool, Abraham's going to go sacrifice his son, you are wrong. You should experience a revulsion. Oh my goodness. So here's Abraham having waited, like we just talked about, 25 years, confident that God can do what he promised to do. And Abraham goes up the mountain. Again, like, like it says in this passage, he knows that, that the God he serves is the God who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. He's got confidence. He's going up the mountain with his son, with wood that he's going to build a, a fire with to sacrifice his son. What's going through Abraham's head? Who knows? God can raise him from the dead. If, if, that's, if that's how this goes, that, that's okay. Um, God can provide something that I don't even know about. And he gets there, and if you remember the story, right as he's about to, to kill his son, which again, how should you feel about that? Bad. That's gross. He's about to kill his son. God says, stop. And there's a lamb in the thicket for the sacrifice. Here's the thing. Several thousand years later, God's son would go up a hill. It's foreshadowing in a really powerful way. Would go up a hill and you should feel that same revulsion about Abraham being asked to give his son. That same revulsion you feel there, you should feel when God gives his son as a sacrifice for you, right? It foreshadows the same event. It foreshadows the same thing. There had to be a sacrifice. And the difference is that when, when Abraham got close, God said, don't do it. Don't hurt the boy. When Jesus went to the cross, there was no, with, there was no withholding. God gave the sacrifice that paid the price. It's really powerful. Knowing, of course, that Christ would conquer the power of sin and death, would rise from the dead three days later. Still, though, it's powerful stuff. God can do what He promised. God can do what He promised. 
Abraham was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised, and that's why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But, and this is where it comes home for us, but the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone. Who were they for? They were for ours also. And when Paul says for ours also, that extends all the way out to Providence Bible Church on December, what's the date? 13th, 2015. All the way out to here, to us also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised up for our justification. Let's talk about the arc of redemptive history and your place in it. You have a role in the whole arc that God is, the story that God's telling of redemptive history. You, right here, right now, you have a role. That's a big arc. It's huge. It was counted to him. It wasn't that he was himself righteous, but righteousness was counted to him. Why? Because of faith. That's not just a provision for Abraham, it's a provision for us, tied up in the grace of Jesus. In the Asian station, right? Expiation, you remember this, this is Jason a couple weeks ago. Expiation, propitiation, expiation is um, the, hold on, help me to get this right. Expiation, propitiation is God's wrath being satisfied. Expiation is the penalty being paid right? Imputation is Christ's righteousness going to us. Justification is us being made right and salvation. We're saved from the penalty of sin, from death, from an eternity in hell. That's real stuff, real things we believe, right? Expiation station or Asian station is all, all of that it's tied up in these words. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. The penalty for your sin, sitting you sitting here, where you can hear my voice, the penalty for your sin was paid by Jesus. He was raised... So that you could be made right again. And it will be counted to all those who believe in him. That's it. There's no other qualifier. There's no other, there's no, no covenant that you've got to enact. There's no action you have to do. You just have to believe. That's amazing mercy. Of course, you can't even believe on your own. You need the gift of faith active in your heart. You need God to do that even for you. So all the way back, this is what good storytellers do too, by the way. A good storyteller, when he's telling a story, is always aware of what the ending is, right? God has been aware of what the end of this story is all the way back through history. He, it's never been a question for him. He will redeem his people and he will send his son back again to reign and rule in a new heaven and a new earth. That's what's going to happen. And he's been planning that all the way back and he sees that active in your life right here. Where are you going to be? shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. God calls you to believe. It's a real call. Everyone who believes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. So what does this passage mean for us? It means that you can believe God. He is worthy of your trust. Not just because I say so, but because throughout history, over and over and over again, he's shown himself to be faithful. 
He's worth believing in. He can do what he said he'd do, right? God will do what he said he would do. He's done that over and over again. He will do that. And the things he said he would do in the future to us, he will do. Have no doubt. He's given no reason for you to doubt him up till now. Instead, he's just consistently over and over again delivered. Have no doubt. Christmas is a celebration of the fact that God did what he said he'd do. And that God will do what he said he'd do. That's what we're celebrating, right? That's the nativity. It's God doing what he said he'd do. I will, I will send a savior, right? All the way back to Genesis, all the way back to Adam and Eve, where he says to Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field, and on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. It's about Jesus. And God, all through the course of history, is doing what he said he'd do right up to the cross and through today. You can believe God. He will do what he said he would do. Christmas is God doing what he said he'd do. You cannot bring your own righteousness to this party. You can't. You are not good enough. I am not good enough. Abraham was not good enough. Right? We saw that. David was not good enough. He was a man, his, he had a heart after God's. No one has ever been good enough except for Jesus. And he was so good that if you'll believe in him, his righteousness will be yours. That's how God will see it. You will be justified. Christ's righteousness imputed to you and you are made right. That's amazing. What a gift. God wants to give you Jesus' righteousness as your own. If you don't know Jesus and you're here, you can rest in the righteousness of Christ. You can know him today. You can put your faith in him. His grace will transform you. His righteousness will be yours. If you do know Jesus, this is what I think God has for you at Christmas time. My prayer is that your heart will be stirred within you today. That like Ebenezer Scrooge, you'll remember Christmas and keep it all the year. But Scrooge didn't even have a full view of what Christmas was. Here's what Christmas is about. Christmas is about a baby being born who would go to the cross to pay the debt for your sin. He conquered death. He rose on the third day. And when he did, he made you, if you believe, an heir to the whole world. An heir to the whole world. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God can do what he said he'd do? What are just some of the things that he said he'd do? He said he'd listen to us when we pray, right? God said, do you believe he can do that? Do you believe he will do that? Are you seeing that in your prayer life then? Because if not, you got a problem with unbelief. He said he'd come back to make all things new. Do you believe he's going to do that? Are you seeing evidence of that in the way you live your life? If not, you've got a problem with unbelief. He said he would provide for us. He said he'd provide for his people. Do you believe that? Are you seeing evidence of of your belief of that. Can God do what he said he'd do? He can. He will. He is worth believing. He said he would build his church. He said he was doing that. Do you believe that? 
Are you seeing evidence of that in the way you engage your church? If not, you have an unbelief problem. Let's believe God. That's just, again, a smattering. Just like those stories that we picked from the Ark of Redemptive History, that's a smattering of things God's promised his people. Let's believe him. Because over and over again, he's gone out of his way in history to say to you, sitting right here, you can believe me. I will make you right. If you believe in Jesus, he has made you right. And you can, like Abraham, you can have faith. He's able to do what he said he'd do. You'll note in that, in that little passage that he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God receives glory when we believe him, when we take him at his word. Providence Bible Church, I hope that you'll take Christmas 2015 as a time to be stirred, be moved toward believing that God can do what he said he'd do. Because he can. He's shown you that over and over again. He's made you right through his son Jesus, through that sacrifice. Beautiful, terrible, on your account. And that's beautiful. Let's pray and we'll be done. God in heaven, would you move our hearts? Help us to look toward Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Give us confidence that you can do what you said you'd do. Thank you for the story of Abraham, for the reminder that even when your timelines are long, you are accomplishing your will. Help us to wait on you. We love you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me? I'm going to read the doxology from the book of Romans. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations according to the command of the eternal God to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks.